listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. A ghoul, a grave robber, a nice guy called Frank. Hi, this is Mark Redfield. Welcome to the program. The original audio drama that we present, written by Tony Sandeas, is called The Resurrectionist. A resurrectionist was a fanciful name given to the dubious profession we know as grave robbers. The most well-known grave robbers in fiction appear in Robert Louis Stevenson's The Body Snatcher. Archeo Pictures adapted it to film in 1945. It starred Boris Karloff as Cabman Gray, Henry Daniel as Dr. McFarlane, and Bella Lugosi as Joseph. It was directed by Robert Wise. You and I should work together. You mean we would sell the bodies to the doctors together? To dig them up, there'll be no digging. The kirkyards are too well guarded. We will, so to speak, burk them. I'm sure of that. I'm sure, and I mean to report it. It's like Burke and Hare all over again. That is grave robbing is one thing, but this is murder. You ordered this subject, received it here, and paid for it. That makes you a part of the murder. You must leave this house. I can't do that. You heard McFarlane. Save yourself, Master Fetters. Look at McFarlane. Gray, I must be rid of you. You become a cancer, a malignant, evil cancer, rotting my mind. Never get rid of me, darling. Lots of reference to the real-life grave robbers, known as Burke and Hare. Burke and Hare were notorious and ubiquitous. Many adaptations of... uh, body snatching or fiction created in radio and television and films uh, use these two real-life characters. Um, But uh, body snatching was big business in real life in the 19th century and not just Burke and Hare. Body snatchers or um, resurrectionists would steal freshly buried bodies and sell them to doctors or medical colleges and schools. Of course, the practice was and is illegal and immoral. The wonderful writer Ambrose Bierce in his The Devil's Dictionary wrote, and this is how he defined these resurrectionists or resurrection men, as, quote, one who supplies young physicians with that which the old physicians have supplied the undertaker, end quote. There have been some famous cases of body snatching in the 20th century. In these cases, they're usually about extortion and money and not about trying to find fresh corpses for students to study on. And I'm reminded of a very famous one because of my particular love and fandom of the filmmaker Charlie Chaplin. Chaplin was a little more than two months buried in 1978 when two grave robbers um, dug up his body and extorted the family. And they wanted 600,000 Swiss francs 
from the Chaplin family for the return of his body. Ouna Chaplin, Charlie's widow, is quoted as saying that, uh, quote, Charlie would have thought it rather ridiculous, end quote. The perpetrators were caught by police and Chaplin's body was reinterred. There are famous cases like this throughout history. But uh, after the 18th and 19th centuries, when medical colleges flourished, these cases were more about, as I said, extortion and money. In Baltimore, where our story begins, grave robbing was a thriving business in the 1800s. Baltimore had a half dozen medical schools and the demand for bodies was high. Baltimore became a center for resurrections as medical schools needed subjects for study and dissection. Johns Hopkins, the Baltimore University Medical School, and others were all complicit. Meanwhile, in much of Europe, um, the Europeans handled things differently. Um, medical schools got their deceased subjects because unclaimed corpses were often donated to these medical schools. In America, uh, there was nothing like that that existed um, in any city. And so the flourishing of resurrection men and grave robbing. Our story is a work of fiction, but as a story, it's very true. Let me take you back in time to Baltimore, old Baltimore, for a visit with the Resurrectionist. Here in Westminster Hall, I'm always fascinated by the history that surrounds us in the cemetery of this building. It's virtually a who's who. There are mayors, there are generals, many of these people, and the dates go back to the American Revolution. But then it leads me to think of other people that we don't know about, we don't read about in the history books, the names, the footnotes in these stories. And then I think about the cemetery that surrounds this building, and I think of the dark side, the, the ghouls, the grave robbers. And indeed, there is a name that is merely a footnote in the history of Baltimore and the history of grave robbing in Baltimore. It's just a name, an assistant, a fellow named Frank. And I often wonder, much as I do the famous people, but these people, the footnote people, what are their stories? And if I could ask them questions, what questions would I ask of them? If I'm going to do this, I need the right feeling. What do you mean by the right feeling? Well, like sounds, for instance. Can you make a horse sound? <laughs> Try again. <laughs> it will have to do. You know, it's, it's interesting that you... That and you... Uh, bells. It was the fashion of the time that in the winter many were known to attach bells to their nags. We will need them. Oh, oh the sound of digging, an earth being tossed by a shovel. Yeah. Not in the winter, laddie. Ground frozen hard. It would be the sound of the heavy front piece being lifted off of a crypt. Right. Yes, that's what we would be needing. And, of course, the sound of the mob, the running, the 
Chase. We'll have all the sounds we need. Fear? You have the sound of fear. The sound of loss. I think not. I think we'll be okay. Frank, what do you remember? Remember from that night? Yes. I remember <laughs> the smell of her hair. Stop it, Frank. We should really get back to the party. It's almost New Year. I want to be there when everybody sings. Oh, you're the only one I want to ring in the New Year with, my <laughs> lily of the field. Now, let's get that corset back off. Oh, this corset will stay on now that it's on. Thank you very much. I want to go down to the party. You can stay here and sleep in the New Year if that's your liking. All right, lass. No need for vexation. To the party we will go. Lily, we were very fond of each other. I could easily have doted on her to the end of my days. You had a girl. I did indeed, laddie. What do you think? I'm too much of a ghoul to have had a girl. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> Awkward pause. So, so, we went to the party. Frank! Rose! It's Lily. Uh, of course, my dear. It is. Of course it is. What, what is? What? My name is Lily, not Rose. Who, who is acting silly, Rose? Her name, you rum so drunk, is Lily. You got that it's a flower, but that's about all. Uh, I am drunk. <laughs> In a few minutes, it's not going to be 1835 anymore. Poor 1835, gone forever. I suppose that's reason enough to get drunk. It is indeed. You should try the rum punch. It's made with rum. <laughs> I have to go throw up now, but I will return. You do that. Oh, look, Emma! Emma! Oh, give me a moment with her, Frank, please. I'm working on a dress for a wedding. It's nearly finished, and I want her to try it on come Monday. I will be by the rum punch and the food. Now, you be but a minute, and mind you don't talk to the ladies. Well, I will talk, but talk is all I will do now. Kiss me. Mm. She walked across the room like in a dream. I went to get some rum punch. Flunk! Oh, Dr. Davidge. I'm glad I saw you. I need a word with you. Well, first some more rum punch. It is good. Now, what do you want to talk about, Doctor? Not here. Tomorrow, can you come to Davidge Hall? Say, 9 a.m.? Well, tomorrow being New Year's Day, I will have to say no. But if your invitation extended to 2 p.m. or thereabouts, I would be inclined to say yes. 2 p.m., then? But for God's sake, be punctual. I will make a point of it. Hmm. Frank, Frank, it's almost midnight. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Happy New
I don't expect you at two. Yours will be my first social visit of the new year. Davidge wanted me to meet someone. I know you aren't easily shaken, but prepare yourself. That man has a spike in his head. Indeed he does. It was there that I met the man with the spike in his head. I need this cadaver transported to Boston. That's something you don't see every day. No, you don't. How did he die? He died of a spike through his head. <laughs> it was a construction accident. I would say. He was an itinerant laborer. No family, no next of kin that could be found. I believe his name was Davis, but that is as much as I know. I think I shall just call him Spike. <laughs> Do as you will. Just transport him. You will be paid your usual fee, plus a bit more. Bartleby Sims will assist you. Ah, uh, Master Bartleby. Uh, forgive my curiosity, but why not just dissect the poor bastard here for your own anatomy lectures? Subjects have been in short supply. Well, that is true, but even more, the case at Boston College. There are two doctors, a Dr. Fillmore and a Dr. Abbott, who specialize in brain trauma, and they wish to use the cadaver for research before it is dissected. All right, so tell Master Bartleby to meet me here at 8 p.m. and to have Spike ready to travel. I'll need money to get a barrel of spirits. McKinley will open his shop for me. I'll get it there. Whatever he has in stock, he asks no questions. Then old Spike here can travel north in style and not in stench. Here's for the barrel and half your fee. You'll get the rest when you get back. Good luck. Now, lass, I love spirit in a woman, but this is beyond the beyond. You promised to take me to the Carlton's ball. You even cousined your way into two invitations. You showed me. We was to be dining and celebrating with the finest of the finest. I've never even been inside one of them Roland Park mansions. You promised. I was drunk. You bastard. Now, you are right, Lily. I promised, and now, as it pains me, I have to break my promise. <laughs> But I will make it up to you when I return. I promise. Oh, you're fast for a broken down old bastard. And you are a gracious and forgiving lady. I will make it up to you, my Lil. Unless the doctors see different. Those doctors is how I got invitations to that Carlton's ball. That's how the game is played. That's how I'm going to make enough money so you don't have to serve them drunks at the public house. And we can have a proper home. In a few years, I'll have enough to buy myself a carriage and a fine horse and make my living in a, a more genteel fashion. A proper home? Man and wife in a proper home? And no more digging up corpses? Soon. Hmm. Now, I'll be back in little more than a week. And when I get back, we can have our own ball. Uh, is there time for a quick ball before you leave? I'll leave that part of the story for discretion's sake. Mm, yeah. 
But why not take us to meeting Bartleby that evening? And so I shall. It helped me with this spell. Well, of course, Frank. Oh, just down the stairs, and then we can roll it on its edge. Ah, that's good, laddie. Hello, Frank. Master Bartleby. Well, let's get on with it. I've emptied out some of the gin, so Spike should fit. Spike? Uh, my, my nickname for our departed friend. Well, it says here that his name is... Di Dr. Davidge, such bad handwriting. It does not matter. Now, give me a hand. Uh, oh, 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 hold that in. Why, Frank? Look here. See how far out of the back of his head that metal is protruding? We will not be able to get him to sit right in the barrel. Oh, so what do we do? Now, hold on a minute. I, uh, I have just a ticket. A hammer? Well, I brought it to tap down the lid. But it will do nicely for this, too. I just need a few deft little taps. What are you doing? Calm down. In case you haven't noticed, he is dead. Well, I, I know that, Frank, but the doctors up north were wanting just the way he was. Stop! What? You're damaging him. He got damaged when he got a pipe through his head. Just one more tap. Oops. It's a little bit too far. Angels and ministers of grace defend us. Yeah, I just even things up a bit. Now he has as much metal coming as going. And when they receive the shipment, they can put the pipe where they will. Now, give me a hand. <clears throat> we put him in the barrel of gin. Um, and did he fit? Indeed he did. Ah. Then we tapped down the lid, and then we were on our way. Those damn jingle bells call attention to us. It is the holiday season. And we draw more attention without them. I don't hold with your theory. It, um, it must have been a difficult journey, Frank. Did you sleep in the carriage? It was more of a wagon than a carriage, and we would have froze. They gave Bartleby... What's that? Uh, it means I'm, uh, I'm an idiot. Idiot indicator, huh? Just goes off from time to time to let you know you're an idiot. Not exactly. It just means I forgot to turn my phone off, sorry. I see. <clears throat> Please continue. You and Bartleby are traveling north. Well, they had given Bartleby some coins to cover our food and some lodging, so we made it to just north of Philadelphia in the first leg. Stayed at an inn, slept in a feathered bed, and in the morning we had breakfast fit for a king or a corpse driver. Now, let's slow down, lad. No one's going to steal it. Good food, isn't it, Frank? Well, it is indeed better than I could fix for myself. There are boons in being a resurrectionist, and uh, this is one of them. It's too bad about tonight, though. What about tonight? The ball. You had invitations. I know you were looking forward to it. Well, it wasn't me as much as Lily. To tell the truth, I don't think Davidge wanted us there. The waitress and the janitor who is actually a body snatcher. Shh. 
Keep your voice down, Frank. Why the rush on this cadaver? Hmm? Cold as it is out, they could have put him in the root cellar and he would have kept. No. The rush was the ball tonight. He didn't want the hired help to be cavorting with the non-pareils. Why would he do that? He got you the invitations. What the right hand giveth, the left hand taketh away. But why? More coffee? Oh, yes, please. So where are your gents headed? Home. Boston. Back home. To Boston. Oh, that's nice. Tradespeople, are you? I'm a student. And I am a professor of brainiology. <laughs> brainiology? I specialize in diseased minds, of which there are many. I met a few diseased minds in my time. Now, if you gentlemen need anything else, just let me know. We're going back. Frank, we can't. We're expected. Look, why would Davidge do... You think he arranged for this man to be killed? No, but when that spike went through old Spike's head, he was smart enough to take advantage of the situation. You have no evidence. I don't need evidence. I'm not in the court. We can't just turn back on a fancy Frank. You know I'm right. Well, I inquired as to the address, and the police said that there was no address existed. Odd. I know it's odd, but then I inquired into the registry, and I was told it was safe. We are both being paid well for our services. We don't want to risk that. On to Boston. All right, on to Boston. Well, if we push hard, we might make it to Bridgeport tonight. Tell that. Did you make it to Bridgeport, Frank? No, no, it was too far. No, we made it to just south of Newark, and... Uh, Were there any incidents on the road? One. The next night in Hartford. Court evening? <laughs> Uh, good evening, Constable. You to be staying at this establishment tonight? That is our intention. Well, you can't leave your wagon here. No? No, sir, you cannot. Now, you can take it over to the stables, straight down the street, about half a mile, or you can leave it around back. That is, if you are staying here at the Corman Inn. But only, and I mean only, if you are staying at the Corman. There's a space round back reserved for guests. Thank you, officer. That's what we will do then. Uh, what's in the back? Excuse me? What are you transporting in the wagon? Uh, a few odds and ends, some clothes, and a, a barrel of spirits. Uh -huh. Produced at our distillery in Baltimore. I have a cousin in Boston, and uh, he says he's doing well with his public house. You see, he has two. And he's preparing to open a third. Is he? Uh, yes, he is. And though there are many distilleries near his locale, but... Uh, None is family. Exactly. Show me. What? Show me. Unless you have a reason you don't want to. No reason whatsoever, officer. In fact... Frank. You'll notice here the tax marks, all legal and above board with us. Mm -hmm. It is the only way to conduct business if mm. you want your business to have a future. Indeed you do. Constable, it is a cold night. What would you say to an offer of a cup of the finest gin in the country? I might be inclined to say yes, and thank you very much to boot. <laughs> Ah, Frank and Sons Gin. Ah? Uh -huh. The gin with body. 
There you go. Angels and ministers of grace defend us. Ah, well, that is good. Can I trouble you? Uh... For another nip, certainly. <laughs> then I'll have to reseal the cask, you understand. I do indeed. To long life. I'll drink to that. Hmm, that is good. Uh... What is that? Uh, there's a flavour I can't put my finger on. A proprietary secret, I am afraid. Oh, I understand. <laughs> Off duty in an hour, then home to the wife. Now remember to move that wagon to the rear. It will be safe back there. Thank you, officer. Good evening. My best to the missus. Now, go see about a room while I take this round back. I'll see if I can get us anything to eat. <laughs> that is amazing. That really happened? Just as I described it. Were there any other incidents like that? No, that was it. In two days' time, we were in Boston. Now, one point of interest, we had been given two names, you understand? The names of two doctors to ask for when we arrived. One was out, and the other one was... May I help you? Oh, we were waiting for Dr. Abbott. I'm Dr. Abbott. You are a woman. And you are observant. Oh, oh, you must be the gentleman from Baltimore. I quite understand your reaction. Doctors of my gender are exceedingly rare. First I've met. Well, where is the third in your party? Right here. He is... In the barrel. How novel. Well, I'll open him up and put him on the table for you. Oh, please. And I have been authorized to give you this. Uh, and that was that. Except she surprised both of us. After we had taken Spike out of his barrel, Dr. Abbott said... Uh, you can leave the barrel. I'll have it put in storage. Hmm. What did she want it for? We did not ask. We headed back to Baltimore feeling chuffed. The return was uneventful. I even allowed some of my anger at Davidge to subside. When we got back, it was late, so I hit the rack hard and slept till I was awakened by an intern named Channing. There had been an incident while I was gone. He was uncertain as to the details, but the body had been interred in a crypt until spring when a grave could be dug. I was to retrieve the body tonight, and Bartleby once again would assist. We made it into the boneyard just a few blocks from Davidge Hall about 11.30 on a very dark and cold night. This is it. Uh, give me a hand. <clears throat> hand me that lantern. This coffin, this must be it. Ah, uh, we should have brought some sandbags to put in the coffin. In fact, I might come back tomorrow night, do the same. That way in the spring, and they put the coffin in the ground. The weight will be right. Oh my God, Frank, it's Lily. What could have happened? Frank. My Lily, look at her neck. It looks like she's been strangled. 
What, what should we do? Should, should we take her? You leave her alone unless you want to join her. Well, I mean, just maybe, maybe an autopsy would tell us... It won't tell us who, and that's all I need to know. It's clear to see someone strangled the life right out of her. What's this in her hand? Uh, hold the lantern here. It looks like... Hair. Blonde hair. Short. A man's length. I will find the bastard and I will kill him. I love you, Lil. We have run about the slopes and picked the daisies fine. But we've wandered many weary foot since all things. Frank, I think I heard something. Leave me alone, boy. Listen. Listen, the night watch. We have to get out of here. I said leave me alone, boy. No, 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 no. It's no time for self-pity. You want to avenge her? We must go. Help me. Let me put the lid back on it and turn out that lantern. Oh, it's too late. Shh. What's this? Casement open? Uh, is anyone in there? Hello? Come on out and make it easy for yourself. What do we do? All right, then. Come on, this way. Grave robbers! Grave robbers! Where? Right down here. Now, quick, over the wall with you. Now, here they come. Now, get back to the hole and I'll meet you there. Frank! Now, do as I say or we'll both be lost. Go! I ran in between and around the crypts till I finally made it out of the yard and back to the hall. The next morning I talked to Davidge. You both made a mess of things last night. Listen. You, you returned without our subject. Your subject? She was my fiance. What? It was Lily. You must have known. I had no idea. No idea. I only knew that the woman had been murdered. By who? Who killed her? Who strangled the life out of her? I don't know, Frank. If you hadn't sent me out of town, she'd still be alive. You don't know that. Yes, I do. Now, don't you tell me what I know and what I don't know. Frank! Why did you send me out of town? You know why? You had to make a delivery. And it had to be just then. Well, yes. Frank, how could I know? I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, thank you, Doctor, but that is not enough. You are going to help me find out who killed her. What can I do? I don't know yet, but I will. Maybe you just pay the bills while I do the searching, but one way or another, we are going to find her killer. And that we find them, then what? Oh, you let me worry about that. Frank! Frank! Wow. Um... Well, I believe that's all we have time for today. Did you, um, find them, Frank? You are right. That is all for today. Perhaps we will get together another time. Perhaps. I... Perhaps. I... Now, I think that there are only two more words to be said. Say them with me. The... The... And end. The end.
The Resurrectionist was written by Tony Sandez. It was performed live and recorded before an audience at Westminster Hall in Baltimore, where Edgar Allan Poe is buried. The Resurrectionist starred Tony Sandez, Chris Fingston, Marianne Perry, Patricia Coleman, John Aston, David Crandall, and me as your interviewer. Original music and soundscape was created by David Crandall. The audio engineer was Bill Dixon. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you subscribe. We have more great original audio drama coming. The original contents of this program is copyright The Mark Redfield Company. Now available from Redfield Arts Audio. London at Christmas time. I had called upon my friend Sherlock Holmes upon the second morning after Christmas. Sherlock Holmes and the Blue Carbuncle. Adapted from the story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You, sir, what do you want? You will excuse me, but I could not help overhearing the questions which you put to the salesman just now. I think that I could be of assistance to you. How could you know anything of the matter? My name is Sherlock Holmes, and it is my business to know what other people don't know. You know nothing about Starring Mark Redfield as Sherlock Holmes and J.R. Liston as Dr. Watson. Available now on Audible and other online audio retailers. And here's to a happy new year, my old friend. If you're brand new to the works and life of the great American storyteller and poet Edgar Allan Poe, this recording is for you. Sherwin Cody wrote this biography for beginners of the wonderful works and life of Poe as part of a series of books for young readers in 1899. I narrate the book, and I made some small revisions where needed, updating the manuscript for historical accuracy based on new information since the story of Edgar Allan Poe was originally published. Poems by Poe have been added to this spoken word edition that were not in the 1899 original. If you're just beginning your journey into the life and works of Edgar Allan Poe, this audio recording is perfect for you. If you're a seasoned Poe aficionado, then share and gift this spoken word recording of The Story of Edgar Allan Poe with a young person just meeting Poe for the first time. The Story of Edgar Allan Poe by Sherwin Cody, adapted and narrated by me, with poems by Edgar Allan Poe. From Redfield Arts Audio, available now worldwide on Audible. Jeffrey Combs, Nevermore, An Evening with Edgar Allan Poe. Written by Dennis Paoli. Directed by Stuart Gordon. Recorded before a live audience. You are here this evening, no doubt, to hear yours truly recite the most popular poem ever written upon these shores. <laughs> For many years, my, my, my stories, my tales, they're more popular than my poetry. Magazines and readership just demanded. Oh, new tale, every issue. Oh, God, do you hear it? Louder, 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 villains!
as I shrieked. Dissemble no more, I admit the need. Tear up the planks. Here, here, it is the beating of his hideous heart. This program copyright the Mark Redfield Company. Discover our newest audiobook releases at redfieldartsaudio.com.